Hello and welcome back to In the Queue, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host Phil, and I didn't know that some clocks chime midnight five minutes before midnight. Am I am I am I remiss? Do, is that a thing? No, I don't think so. I I also didn't think that it chimed five minutes before midnight. They, some of them do start their chimes like a minute or two before midnight because they play a whole song and then they ring out the the twelve uh, strikes on the hour. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah. I, I I'm used to that, but I felt like in this film they had a shot of the clock and then it was like five till, and obviously they had to give them enough time. Anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that discussion later in the film. Yeah, I'm your co-host, Andrew. And I think that this film cements the fact that production design porn is now a genre of film. Well, you know, we have Dante Ferretti to thank for that. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we do. That's a prolific man. Uh, yeah. All right. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the new Cinderella adaptation today. Um, mm-hmm. This is a often, often adapted story um, in both yeah. animated and live action form. We're going to talk all about it and our opinions on the film. But first, we'd like to direct you to where you can find us on the web. Yes. If you go to our blog at www.in-the-q, that's the letter Q, Dot com, you'll find all of our shows that we post. You can participate in discussions. You can leave requests for movies you would like us to review. We'll gladly honor those. We're, we, we collect them all, and we're just blazing through them week by week. Tearing through them just as fast as we can get them. Actually, not as fast <laughs> as we can get them. <laughs> what am I saying? No, I mean, but the hyperbole was in the right place, I think. Yes, yeah. yes. So we might say tearing through them like a hot knife through butter. Like a hot knife through butter that cuts... Once a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, it doesn't have the same ring to it, but anyway. No, no, it doesn't. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Just do a search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E, Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. And there you can, once again, find our shows. You can post. One of the places to leave requests. And then also, you can enjoy videos that we post uh, that have to do with <laughs> the films that we're talking about that particular time in the week and yeah and sort of it'll sort of sweeten the deal if you will sort of i will yeah yeah well yeah i see you're you're doing it right now i'm sweetening the deal okay or having the deal sweetened for me perhaps (laughs) wow well it's a good thing this isn't a vlog ladies and gentlemen (laughs) okay anyway um so that's that one more thing you can find us on itunes uh, you you can. can subscribe to our podcast just to search for In the Queue, Q-U-E-U-E. Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil should pop right up. And then all of our shows are posted there. You can subscribe and they will be delivered to you. That's how it works on iTunes. And it's a pretty darn efficient method, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. So that's three different ways you can enjoy us. I assume that because you're listening to this right now, you've discovered one of them. Yeah. I mean, you you would have to have. It goes without saying. Unless a friend of yours or a family member brought the recording to you, in which case we hope you are intrigued enough to visit one of those three methods. Exactly. All right. So, Cinderella. Cinderella. Might I also add Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella? 
Yes, it is. And um, I was surprised when I learned that he directed this film. I knew it ahead of time, so I was I was mentally prepared for such a thing. Were you emotionally prepared? No. Okay. <laughs> so I'll just kind of give you guys a fairly rudimentary rundown of the story in case it was not clear. Um, this is, as far as I know, this adaptation doesn't take too many liberties with the traditional story, at least the one that I grew up hearing and seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, basically, you, you've got... Um, a girl named Ella and her loving parents, and they're they're a great team. They all love each other. Uh, mother dies tragically, and uh, mm-hmm. the father eventually decides he wants to remarry. But unfortunately, his taste in women really went downhill after his first wife, and he falls for a really kind of mean, nasty person. Um, I believe her name is Lady Tremaine, is mm-hmm. the character yes. name, played with a plum by Kate Blanchett. And so then, unfortunately, after a brief amount of time, the father dies as well, and it leaves poor Ella with the evil, wicked stepmother and her wicked stepsisters, um, Anastasia and Drizella. Mm-hmm. And they are very cruel to her. She lives a very kind of sad existence, but she she maintains... Her belief that kindness and and goodness will you know will win out in the end, and and it's really that kind of optimism that uh, will make make everything okay in the long run. Yes. Um, yeah. And so then, from that point forward, this is probably sounding familiar to you guys. She has a chance meeting um, in the woods with a dashing stranger. Um, who later turns out to be a person of interest, a rather royal figure in the local in the local kingdom. And uh, from that point forward, things start to sort of look up. And that's kind of the, uh, the basic idea. Uh, really, in terms of the story, not a lot of surprises. Uh, no, it, it cleaves pretty close to the fairy tale as we know it, at least as we know it by Disney. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, this is something of a retelling of their own film. It is a Disney film mm-hmm. in this particular case. And I, as I understand it, the second in a line of scheduled live action adaptations, mm. uh, the first of which was Malefic- Maleficent mm-hmm. last year, which we reviewed on this program. Yeah. And we talked about that, even though that wasn't technically a retelling of the story. It was a... Uh, reworking of the story from the evil uh, sort of villain's perspective mm-hmm. rather than the, the heroes. Right. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be de rigueur what's, moving forward. Do you know what's next? I don't, but I had heard talk about the, them adapting Aladdin. I heard talk about them uh, adapting uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty. So... Hmm. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Um, and you've got you got a dynamite cast. If you look at the the roster for this film, yeah, um, you really got it's a, a, shame that they're so <laughs> wasted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> they pretty much are. But I mean, just look at these names. You got you got you got a cameo by Rob Brydon, which is so puzzling because it's so brief. I mm-hmm. mean, he's he's delightful in it, but uh, it's brief. You've got Derek Jacoby, Claudius himself, 
Yep. Uh, you've got Stellan Skarsgård, Helena Bonham Carter as the fairy godmother. Um, Richard Madden of Game of Thrones fame, or everybody's beloved Rob Stark. Yeah. Kate Blanchett, of course, in the lead or in the the lead supporting character as the stepmother. Mm-hmm. L- Lily James, who is uh, up and coming and has had a very successful time on Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's very popular for that. You've also got Ben Chaplin, too, who I, mm-hmm. I just watched in The Thin Red Line yesterday. And it's yeah. interesting to see. I just took that leap from from 1998 to 2015 in like 24 hours. It was yeah. interesting to see how he's changed and, and evolved. Uh, I always thought he was a likable actor since I saw him in, in Thin Red Line. Uh, yeah. Also, and I'll just say this because I love this actor. Uh, Nonso Anozi or Anozie, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, but he played Zaro Zone Doxos on Game of Thrones as well, <laughs> and uh, and he plays the captain of the guard uh, for the um, the prince, right? And and he's delight. He's actually, I would say, is delightful in this film. The other ones, I'm not sure that I would agree with. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he does a lot with that role too. You know, he does. Because he really the, does. the role is not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's not overwritten in the slightest. But he, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say any of these roles are overwritten. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And uh, but like he just he he imbues that character with a lot, a lot of kind of gentle warmth, but also sort of like also commanding. Com- commanding yeah, commanding presence. Um. There were two things about this movie that kind of delighted me, surprised me. Oh. Um, I I can't wait to hear what you have to say about the production design. Um, oh, I have a lot to say. Before we, before we talk about that, I, I thought that there, there was one thing that Kenneth Branagh did just right, in my opinion. I really, uh-huh. I really dug his aesthetic choice in this situation. And... It was the scene when Cinderella is being transformed by the uh, fairy godmother into a mm-hmm. beautifully dressed, you know, woman who is, you know, absolutely gorgeous and elegant and magical and somebody that the prince would would definitely, you know, want to you know to go for, and. Kenneth Brenna wisely staged this transformation in one unbroken shot. And rather than sort of like using this kind of very impatient editing style that you'll, mm-hmm. that you'll find in every Hollywood movie and maybe some might say in most movies in general, uh, yeah. he decided to let the, the specialness of the special effect occur in one shot. It was like an overhead shot looking down. And uh, granted, you know, no one is going to be thinking, wow, she's actually transforming into – you know, a different person or a person with a different outfit because it is, it's the special effect is not the kind of sort of like realistic, obviously quality. Oh no. (laughs) Uh, And that's kind of like something that you'll see, you may see as a pattern in this film is in terms of the, uh, the realism, the realism quotient. Um, But nonetheless, I really did enjoy this moment where we could just kind of stop and breathe and just kind of see something that happens before your eyes. Um, and I think maybe that has something to do with the fact that as a devout film fan and, and filmmaker, 
I notice edits like nobody's business. Yeah. And yeah. I see edits whenever they occur. And I think that's why I really do kind of enjoy it when a filmmaker takes a chance. And it is kind of a chance sometimes to to just kind of let something play out and, and let it be and not try and manipulate it. And I thought that was a pleasant, pleasant scene. The other thing, and you may want to... T- you may be champing at the bit to talk about this part, Andrew. I'm sure I am. Um, I, I was, we saw something that I hadn't seen before in a Cinderella film when the, the pumpkin coach is returning, um, to Cinderella's home and it strikes midnight. And then we see the thing breaking down. The lizard coachman turns into a lizard and, and it's, uh, the, 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 uh, the, coach itself starts to like fall apart, turn into pieces of pumpkin. And it was a very kind of like graphic transformation, almost like the, like a werewolf transformation in, in, mm-hmm. in like American werewolf in London, for example, where the camera really did focus on different aspects of the transformation. And, and they really wanted to make that a significant part of the film. And, uh, and it was interesting. I thought, uh, I hadn't seen it before. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, but those those are two things, the very special effects heavy things that I found myself interested in as I was watching Cinderella. I understand. <laughs> yeah. As I felt with Maleficent last year. Yeah, I remember. I felt very similarly about this film and both of the sequences that you cite in your examples of things that you liked are in one word, coincide with what I would say is the very thing that is wrong with everything about this film. And that is that they are overwrought. Mm. Everything in this film to me was so overwrought. Mm. The aforementioned production design, costume design, which I thought was just tremendously overwrought. And the special effects overwrought, the emotions overwrought, the music overwrought, uh-huh. the uh, drama overwrought. I thought everything was overwrought. Uh, are, are, there were a, are you saying that you thought it was overwrought? <laughs> I am saying that, yes. Uh, there were a few moments in the film, I, I must confess, where I actually thought that it slowed down and paid close enough attention to be engaging but those were very few and far between and by and large the film itself was just it was overdone and so when when in the opening i say the age of production design porn has truly begun that's that's the 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 category that i would put this film in mm-hmm. and maleficent and a number of other films it's it is almost as though they look at making these films as an opportunity to, for these people who might otherwise be uh, very reserved uh, production designers or costume designers mm-hmm. uh, who who work on more straightforward pictures. I mean, both both the production designer, Dante Ferretti, and the costume designer, Sandy Powell, have worked extensively, for instance, with Martin Scorsese. Yeah. It, for going, going quite a ways back with Dante Ferretti and going a little ways back with Sandy Powell. And... The, you know, those with a director like Scorsese, you're going to have production design and costume design that are at the service of the story. 
They are at the service of the characters. They are at the service of enhancing the film itself. Uh In a film like Cinderella, the production design and the costume design are the star. They, they are, there is no, uh, line. (laughs) It's, in fact, I would say that they overwhelm Mm. the human drama so completely that it becomes uninteresting to watch. I find that it just it just becomes a a, a dull mess, mm-hmm. and and uh, and I think that this that happened in this film, which of course is a, a great surprise coming from somebody like Kenneth Branagh, who has such a great history. You know, he's one of the great Shakespearean actors of our time. Right. He's directed many great Shakespearean films as well as a few other very interesting films, but recently has been making films like Thor, and. Uh, what was the the last movie that he did? The Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit, I think, uh, was the last one that he worked on. And those are fine, but uh, they're a little light on material, right? They're a little light on uh, character. They're a little light on interesting right. drama, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And that's not to say that there's any reason that he shouldn't be doing it or any anything that's inherently bad about a film like that, but when I watch a movie like Cinderella and you, for instance, the first time that Kate Blanchett as the wicked stepmother is introduced in the film, you don't see her face and that's not uncommon. I mean, we have lots of great introductions to characters that are sort of led by their costume design, but in this particular case, her costume design is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely overwhelming. And the costume is the character and that works to a point but then when that's reinforced by what i would describe as very uh very uh, what am i trying to say mm. um allegorical no not allegorical uh, overwrought well overwrought presentations of the characters yes um but that the 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 drama falls behind. So in those shots that you're talking about, in those sequences that you're talking about, everything becomes about the transition or the effect or the look of it. And it, none of it has like, there's nothing in this film that, that is at the service of the story. Well, everything is just put, makes the story its slave and it, it doesn't, you know, function anymore as a story. Well, everything you say, I pretty much agree with, and you're, you're seeing through, the the artifice of this film, this type of film. Yeah, and archetypes. That's what I was trying to think of. Archetypes. <laughs> okay. Archetypical performances. Right. They're playing archetypes. Okay, all right. There, you said it. We got it now. Okay. So, uh, but I, the reason I latched on to those examples as being something that caught my eye is because the story offers nothing interesting whatsoever. And... It yeah. sounds like what you're saying is if they had invested more into the story and less into the costumes or the production design, they might have come up with something maybe like a more revisionist uh, telling of the Cinderella fable. Uh, I wouldn't have even minded uh, just a straight retelling of the fable with as much love, as much fun, as much care that went into the original. I mean, you watch the original cartoon and it's magnificent. Beginning to end, it is absolutely spectacular, 
and it's because there is so much love and so much economy, so much economy of storytelling in the original one. This one is a little bit over three hours or two hours long. I'm sorry, not three yeah. hours. Oh, that would be insufferable. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit over two hours long. And those two hours are, I mean, I would say probably an hour and 20 minutes of it is filled up with just lingering on details of the costumes and the sets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or or just making sure that there are as many transitions or broad sweeping shots or, you know, any number of things that are showing off the, the admittedly grandiose and rather magnificent costume and production design. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but when everything else suffers because of it, that's where I I get turned off by the film. Fair enough. Um, I hear your point of view. Um, I think maybe there are definitely films that get made where you notice aspects of the film that kind of stand out or or maybe seem like there's more attention given to them or more sort of things. They demand more of your attention. And then Uh there's great films where they have a very well-rounded approach. I mean, look at – this is just came to my head. The Godfather, okay? The Godfather is a film where the cinematography is stunning. The costumes are stunning. Uh, the performances are stunning. The writing and the directing is stunning. And um, and those kind of incredible achievements are definitely lightning in a bottle. And I think Kenneth Branagh has made films like that in the past. He's made he's adapted Hamlet. His Hamlet, I I would actually draw a very close parallel to. But I mean, the source material is he's 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 going from the Bard, right? He's he's actually using the words of Shakespeare mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the plot of Shakespeare. And it, 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 it holds up very strongly. But that is also a very sort of excessive production design and costume design. I mean, it's really over the top. But, I mean, to also have Derek Jacobi in this film, when he plays Claudius in that film, and see the difference, even though Derek Jacobi is wonderful in this, because I think it's impossible for him not to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he... It, you watch his turn as Claudius in, in Kenneth Branagh's version of Hamlet, and it's mind-blowing. It's just – it's incredible. Yeah. Maybe Kenneth Branagh um, campaigned to get his buddy Derek in his new project. Quite possibly. <laughs> not that Derek not that Derek Jacoby needed the uh, – I don't know. Does he need the uh, the favor? I mean I haven't, I haven't really seen him in many movies lately. No, oh, well, he's a, he's a theater guy at heart, right? Yeah. He's probably – performing all the time just not in a way that we can see it not in, not usually in hollywood films yeah um yeah i mean but i was i was admittedly bored really by this film um i i don't think there's a lot really to do with the story so i can i can see i think what they did i think what disney wanted to do is they wanted to market a familiar tried and true story that did well for them in the past and now they want to reintroduce it to a new generation and re- new generation of consumers who will pay t- money to buy tickets and mm-hmm. and they thought well how can we liven up this affair and they probably thought well let's get let's really just go to town with the actual look of this film and with the the Everything you mentioned, costume, production design. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe they even said, hey, let's get Dante on this one. Let's get Sandy on this one. Uh, we don't know. Um, but I, my, I would argue that 
toning down the the special the special effects or, or even the the general um, like sort of aesthetics of the of the film and that by that I include the costumes and the sets it leaves you with a dull film a dull story <laughs> yeah um, and I this has got like a very very high rating on IMDb right now it's seven point nine and it's also the number one most trafficked film on the IMDb website. Well, it made $68 million over the opening weekend. Yeah. And I mean, that's substantial, especially for a March release. Yeah. Although it's been crazy this year. What with American Sniper and 50 Shades of Grey, like <laughs> yeah. breaking records left and right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, what, what can I say? I, I didn't really enjoy this, this film. Um, <laughs> I can definitely see where it's lacking in your eyes, Andrew. Um, oh, yeah. but at the same time, I didn't really, once the film started and got going, I was kind of like, okay, this is what it is. And I'll just, you know, this is kind of nothing special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely how I would describe it. I mean, uh, just to use an example, Kate Blanchett. Marvelous actress. Mm -hmm. I've loved her in a million different things. I've thought that she was spectacular in a wide variety of different roles. I never thought that I would look at a Kate Blanchett performance and say, Whoa, that was, that was no good at all. And that's what I do in this. film. like, I, I was actually looking forward to it. I knew that she was the, the, uh, stepmother. And I was like, oh, this will be a nice, like, opportunity for her to be, like, a mean, cruel person. And she is. But it's so archetypal. Uh-huh. It's so much of a caricature rather than a character. And I, I have to believe that that's a directorial choice because everybody's doing it in the entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, the, with the possible exception uh, of our good friend, the captain of the guard. Uh, played by Nanso Anozi, mm-hmm. I, 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 I was just, I was in awe, and Derek Jacobi, of course. Um, I was just in awe of how it could take so many good actors and just kind of spoil them, <laughs> and not spoil them as actors, of course, mm-hmm. but just, just waste their their gifts and their presence. And I have to think that it's because. They probably had this, as you say, like this kind of idea that we're 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 reworking Cinderella. We're going to introduce it to a new audience. We're going to get more people to love it. Yeah. And so there's all that baggage that sort of comes along with that, right? Instead of just setting out to make a good movie, you're making a product. And I think maybe maybe they weren't prepared to just make a film, make a real film that happened to be based on a well, fairy tale. This... There's more humanity in the animated characters from the original Cinderella than any of the actors in this film. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're sort of uh, touching on to a really uh, main artery of, uh, of how movies have changed, I think, over time. And, and how, <laughs> how right now, yes, I would say this Cinderella is a product, and I'm sure that there's going to be some kind of tie-in with dolls or, or clothes or books or toys or anything else. And I think Disney is definitely aware that that's untapped potential for more revenue. And, and maybe maybe they're also thinking it's potential for us to reach more people and, and touch more people and, and make experience magic with more people. But the fact is, I mean, 
if you look back at you know movies before people realized that they that you could make a ton of money you can make money off of ticket sales you can make money off of tie-ins and products and all that you know before that happened you know i mean movies were i think if not better they they relied more on those things that you were just lamenting andrew yeah i mean they yeah. were they relied more on the story and or i would think anyway but um but I, I can totally see this as a product and, and as as a, 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 a like a, a single a single um, aspect of a whole line of product movies that have come out and will come out. Uh, yeah, as I was saying, like if they're gonna they're they're gonna go back and they're re- gonna revisit all of their old material and make live action versions of it. All of the old Disney canon, the sacred Disney canon that is a series of perfect films as they are. Yeah. And they're going to remake them all as live action movies that are far inferior. See, I don't understand the logic. Ching. <laughs> well, logic. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't they don't have the same reverence for their own their own history, their own masterpieces. I think it's kind of sad. But look at like Disney now that Disney owns Star Wars, they're going to re-release the first 3 Star Wars movies in the theater, but but from what I hear, it's going to be like the the unaltered original 3. Before before the the, the late nineties uh, remastering, great. great, super happy about that. Guess what? I'm not happy about a Star Wars movie every single year for the next fifteen years, which is what they've got on the books. Yeah, and every single year they're already coming. They've already got uh, episodes seven and eight. Seven's almost done. It's going to come out next summer uh-huh. or this summer, maybe I don't know, soon. And then eight, they just lined up their director. It's going to be Ryan Johnson of, of brick fame and uh-huh. looper fame. And that's going to be happening. But in between those two movies, they're making a movie called star Wars rogue one. That's three that are already like planned. You know what I think? I think the, the story and the brilliant acting and the originality and the excitement of movies I would say starting maybe several years ago, it went straight out of Hollywood and right onto cable television. television. Yep. Um, I think that that's, that's where the real renaissance is right now these days. Um, yeah, it makes me sad, though. I mean, there's still great independent films being made. There's still some great Hollywood films being made. But, uh, but they're, they're taking no risks. They're taking... No, they're making no attempt to court original IPs, original ideas. Mm-hmm. They're just regurgitating things that have already made them money so that they can be safe. It's, it's what William Goldman wrote about 20 years ago, you know, in uh, adventures of the screen trade, adventures in the screen trade. Yeah. He said, you know, all of these people, and especially in which lie did I tell, which was the follow up to adventures in the screen trade. He talked about the fact that. Everybody who's a studio head in Hollywood is terrified of losing their jobs and all that it takes is one movie not to make a profit for them to lose their job. Mm -hmm. So they can never make a decision. They're paralyzed because they can never make a decision that is risky because it might lose money. And if it loses money, they lose their cush job and nobody wants to do that. So you end up with an industry that is just regurgitating things that already exist because they're guaranteed moneymakers. And – can you even begin to compare this to 1976 when Robert Altman was about to board a plane to fly overseas 
And on the way to the airport in his cab, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Drive over to uh, to Paramount. I, I got a I got a dream I want to pitch to somebody. Yeah. And so they pull over. He hops out of the cab, and he goes up to to talk to like the vice president of production at Paramount. And he says, "Oh, I had a really interesting dream last night. Yeah, it's about there's these three women in it, and I don't really know what happened, but it was just kind of really mysterious." Blah 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 blah. And and, and then like, and then that little meeting, they green light a whole movie called Three Women. That Robert Altman directed, and it's it's one of the most singular films of the seventies. I mean, it's it's so odd and uncompromising, and that's the way it used to be back in those days. Yeah, and that was that was the norm. Was but that was still that was the death of the studio system right after the seventies. Heaven's Gate killed the studio system. We should do a show right? on Heaven's Gate. Hey, somebody somebody request Heaven's Gate so we can do that. <laughs> I've actually so we can talk. I've about got it. the Blu-ray. Uh, I, I will probably get it at some point cause it's criterion, but that, you know, that collapse of the studio system was also the collapse of big personalities. Right. And it, it ushered in the rise of the shareholder movie makers yeah. basically is it like all, all of the studio execs nowadays are beholden to the shareholders and shareholders of course don't have any creative bones in their bodies and they don't give a crap about interesting projects or quality film. Right. They only care about making money. And so when the only thing that anybody at the organization cares about is making money and the only people who are in charge of the studios are people with MBAs who were only born and bred to make money and not to be artists, Mm -hmm. you don't have them believing in an artist like Robert Altman and saying, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on this guy because I believe in him as a person and as a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what it is, people. Um, I think we took the long way around on that one. but (laughs) (laughs) Well, we... (laughs) We needed to, had to gestate a little bit before we could really yeah <laughs> address that. But um, yeah, yeah, maybe we should just leave it at that then. Well, I I think it's pretty clear. I do not recommend this film. I think it's pretty bad. Uh, with a couple of moments in the film that are maybe worth seeing, but nothing uh, that is worth uh, probably suffering through the whole film for. Um, I think it's really kind of a sad depressing cash grab and I do not recommend it. I think even if you are a little girl I wouldn't recommend this film to you. Go watch the original. Yeah, or or go out and play with other girls <laughs> or boys even. Um or read a look at a look at a storybook about Cinderella. Have have your mom sit you down and, and open a book with you and you can read it together. Or watch something great like The Box Trolls. <laughs> <laughs> or watch, quite the opposite of this or watch something great like the box trolls yeah i i don't i don't recommend it either i kind of i was really bummed out about having to watch it to be honest with you yeah so there it is thank you for joining us for this episode where we talked about cinderella please join us for our next episode when we will be talking about the film how to steal a million the classic film with, uh, I think, William Wyler directed. Is that right? I'm shocked. Did he? Yeah, I think William Wyler directed it. And it's got Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn. Wow. And uh, that should be a fun one. Christy suggested it. She's been a guest on her show before. So we'll be talking about that with her. And uh, we hope you all have a great day. <laughs>